Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men with you. And as always, we have our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander, with us. Greg, good to have you with me today. Hey, Alex. It's great to be with you. How are you doing? Well, I hope. Yes, I am doing well. I hope you're doing well as well. Yeah, splendidly. Thank you. Well, we've got some exciting things to talk about today, at least exciting for us, I think, and I, I believe everyone will be excited to hear it as well. Uh, so lots of things happening in the world of Disciples Men these days. Uh, as we record this, uh, we are uh, just under two weeks away from our uh, general conference meeting, our annual meeting for the General Conference of Disciples Men. Uh, which will be virtual here in 2021, held on the 13th of March. And so that is exciting as we watch registrations uh, roll in for that. Uh, And if you're listening and it's before the 13th and you would like to join us for uh, a day of re-envisioning what it means to be uh, part of the General Conference of Disciples Men um, and how we might best Um, serve the church and serve men in the church uh, in the coming years. I invite you to uh, get online, check us out at the uh, Disciples Home Mission website, and you can find a link to us uh, to the registration form through that website. Um, And I think we'll have one. I'll put one up uh, a little bit later today on the Jesus Way website um, as well. Make sure that that link is available there. So encourage you to sign up if you have not already and would like to join us uh, on the 13th of March. Uh, what else do we have coming up, Greg? I know there's several things. Well, just a PS on to the upcoming General Conference Disciple Men meeting. Um, I just want to give a, uh, you know, a big salute to our leadership executive committee of that group for their willingness to want to, and it's their initiative, uh, their willingness to want to sort of take a look at uh, how we set our priorities, what our priorities are, how we work together uh, through the General Conference of Disciples Men, the Office of Disciples Men, and and in the congregations and pastors with which we work with all over the United States and Canada, is that we want to, we want to ask the questions of are we doing things that are most effective in, in, in reaching disciple men. And, um, and so we're all real excited about this opportunity to have this conversation. And uh, as you made clear, uh, this is not restricted to just the actual members of the general conference that if you want to be a part of this conversation about the future of men's ministry, uh, you're welcome to come and be a part of it. Uh, a couple of things related to the podcast coming up that we're really excited about is uh, we have two guests, uh, actually three guests, one confirmed and two that we expect to be confirmed shortly uh, coming up as we continue to introduce everyone to the awesome leadership we have in our church. Uh, Chung Sung Kim is uh, the executive pastor for the North American Asian Pacific Disciples. Uh, actually, I didn't say that right. It's North American Pacific Asian Disciples, NAPAD. 
wonderful church leader. I've known uh, uh, Chung for a long time and brings he just brings tremendous gifts wow. to his ministry and to all of us, to the whole church. And uh, so we will be having Chung on as a guest uh, probably in the next uh, podcast or two. Um, we have reached out to um, Reverend Yvonne Gilmore. She is the new interim administrative secretary for the National Convocation. And the National Convocation, of course, is the historic uh, representative ministry of, of uh, Black disciples. And so um, uh, she uh, has started that position with the retirement of the Reverend Dr. Timothy James, who we also have had on the podcast. Yes. But uh, Yvonne's voice is a very important one in the life of disciples. And so we look forward to having her with us. And then uh, and then thirdly, the person that we want to get on is V Nguyen. V is the executive director of the Week of Compassion, one of disciples' most beloved ministries. And uh, V has a phenomenal story to tell about his own life and, and how he became a disciple. And so we certainly want to hear that story as well as hear about all the ways that our Week of Compassion dollars are making positive impact throughout the world. And they do. They yes. make significant impact throughout the world. It's just really one of our great ministries uh, for disciples. So um, those are three people that we have in the wings uh, to uh, be a part of the podcast and hope you'll want to stay in, stay tuned to hear uh, our conversations with these uh, um, wonderful uh, leaders. Yeah, exciting, exciting stuff coming up uh, on the podcast and in uh, Disciples Men's Ministry um, across the board. Uh, Greg, I thought today we talked about uh, continuing this conversation that we began uh, several several weeks ago on a previous podcast. Um, both you and I um, have been profoundly uh, impacted uh, by the events uh, at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of um, 2021. And we both uh, within days, if not hours, uh, of watching those events happen, uh, we talked and said, we simply must address this in light of being a Christian man in the United States. Um, and so I thought today we might continue that conversation a little bit. It's something that we began uh, and really has its foundations uh, in the Jesus Way materials that we've we've produced. Um, and eventually, the, the today, let's get to talking about some of the uh, supplementary or the, the next uh, pieces of curriculum um, that have been born out of this as well. But uh, let's begin with that discussion about why this is embedded um, or, or how this is embedded uh, within the fabric of the Jesus way um, kind of uh, understanding uh, uh, of ministry to and with men? That's a great question. And one that I think we need to, uh, we need to, to really flesh out a little bit, especially in light of all that's happens, um, you know, January 6th and beyond. I think the easy answer here is that it's a purely disciple-developed curriculum. Um, you and I, uh, well, I will speak for me. I will, I'll let you speak for yourself. Uh, but I'm, I am, you know, as an adult, I'm a product of this church. Yes. 
you know, I, my background is I, you know, had some leadership role in the life of the church for many, many years. And so, uh, you know, uh, I cannot remember a time in my life. I honestly cannot remember a time in my life where I was not welcoming and actively engaged in, in uh, equality for women. So, you know, I've, I've been in, in who I am as an adult. And again, as long as I remember, been working to, to dismantle patriarchy in our, in our culture. You know, um, I've been blessed to be around, you know, as you have Alex to be around a number of women, you know, who have more gifts in their little finger for ministry than I've got in my whole body. Yes. And, and to deny them the opportunity to serve as pastors of church, to serve in leadership roles is, I mean, it's just sinful that we would do that. And so I can't, I can't remember a time where that wasn't my way of thinking. And so, of course, when we began to develop the, you know, the Jesus way resources is that was, that was just built into the fabric of it. And then um, for, you know, many, most of my years, I guess, uh, in the leadership role is that we have had the priority of being a pro-reconciling anti-racist denomination. And uh, so, uh, again, um, I still, I, I can't remember, I've always been a racist because I'm a white, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a white person. So again, that just comes with the territory. So state that up front. But, uh, but I've always, I've always tried hard to see everybody as equal. Right. And again, there's a difference between the systemic issues that we deal with and how one personally responds. And, uh, and so I know this is true for you is, is it's hard to remember a time when I also didn't look at people of color right. as equals, as, you know, friends, uh, colleagues, and, you know, and again, never, never judged, you know, capability or anything uh, because of color of skin. And, um, uh, you know, and again, I've been so blessed to be around people Again, who had more gifts and graces in their little finger than I've got in my whole body. And thanks be to God, they were willing to let someone like me hang around with them and learn a few things. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so in a more subtle way is that, the, you know, the dismantling of patriarchy is just built into the curriculum because that's who we are. Right. In a little bit more intentional way, the, uh, because of the systemic racism that, that still plagues our culture, we are a little bit more forthright, not in your face, but we're a little bit more forthright about uh, about um, making sure making sure that we engage uh, all people as equals in you know in life and ministry, etc. What's changed for us again? So yeah, I would strongly encourage any any congregation, any leader in a church to to take a shot at the Jesus way. Get a group together. You can do it virtually. The material is easy to use, uh, you know, and uh, get the conversation started. And truthfully, because of the context in which you're doing the Jesus way today, since January 6th, you can't escape that conversation. It will be present in whichever way, if you pick up the material to use yeah. it. It just has to be. But you and I have also recognized we need to be more forthright and make a statement with the curriculum that we develop that we truly as disciples men are anti-racist pro-reconciling men and want that for our church and that we really 
do understand that patriarchy diminishes us as men as as much as it does women. And uh, that's the great fallacy of people who continue to fly the patriarchal flag is it is, is it diminishes you by the very nature of what it is. And, uh, and so this is, uh, we, we need to make sure that the whole church understands that disciples men will not tolerate, uh, you know, men who behave in such a way as we saw on January 6th at, at the Capitol building. And um, I have read, as I'm sure you have, some of the propaganda of Proud Boys and those kinds of organizations. And I have to say, it is nauseating. Mm-hmm. It is nauseating to read the rhetoric and what these people espouse. And um, um, as we talked about the, in the last podcast that we did around this topic, we both understand how these feelings and how the anger developed. I get that. I've been teaching that for a long, long time. Yeah. But it does not excuse our behavior. It just means that we got a whole lot of more, whole lot more work to do right. to engage men in a way of seeing how impoverished that makes them and all of us by embracing that kind of an attitude. That has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. I don't care how many flags you wave or how many Bibles you know you hold up, you know, in your press conferences. That has zero to do with the message that Jesus proclaimed. Yeah, it, it, and it has been um, it has been heartening uh, to hear from a number of folks as you and I have begun to to talk about this this emphasis that is, has developed here for at least the early months of 2021, it's been heartening to hear and see the responses uh, of our colleagues of uh, from within the disciples and from denominations or, you know, with which we are affiliated through some of our ecumenical men's um, work. And it has been heartening to hear that this conversation um, at this time is really, um, uh, I think it is definitely a needed uh, message, you know, definitely a a needed and welcome uh, message at this point in in the history of uh, men's ministry in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. Uh, And so as much as we have begun and laid out some of the foundational framework pieces for um, why um, why we feel uh, that the patriarchy needs to be dismantled, why we think that um, white supremacy is not a fit with the message and, and gospel of Jesus Christ. We've laid out the, those basic foundational pieces, but I think it's incumbent and we're working on um, creating more curriculum that delves deeper uh, into those issues and and talks about them in more depth. And so um, I'd I'd like to hear kind of your perspective and then I can chime in with a little bit uh, from mine as well. Um, What are some of the pieces um, that we're including in this new curriculum 
Um, what are some of the things that are important for somebody who's just now taking up these kinds of uh, discussions? What's important for them to know? Well, I think there are several factors. And uh, the first one is, is I think we need to understand uh, change. Mm -hmm. We're in a changing complex world. And, you know, the very first uh, lesson of our new curriculum that we're developing is talking about change and what it what it means, how it impacts us, etc. And what I've learned over the years, you know, you know, we hear a lot of pastors complain about how obstinate people are in their church to change and blah, 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 you know, and, and what I've learned is that people, these are intelligent people by and large. I mean, they get the fact that the church is dying and it can't remain the same. And so intellectually, they get the fact that change, some change is needed. And that's why when they call a new pastor to a church, everybody's saying, we want to change, we want to change, we want to change, we need you to lead the change. And then the pastor, like an idiot, believes it <laughs> and then begins to try to do the change and gets crucified, you know, for, for that effort. Because the pastor doesn't understand the fundamental nature of change. Right. And what's taking place in the congregation when they say that is intellectually people know a something's got to give. But when the pastor begins to set forth those changes, what happens is it moves from an intellectual exercise to emotional one. Because right. all of a sudden I realize that the change is going to impact me personally. That now I'm the one whose exalted position in the church is, is going to change. I don't want my position in the church to change. And so I want those people to change. I don't want my position to change. Yeah. And so the critical element of making any kind of change is helping people understand how they fit with the same importance. It may be different, but with the same kind of importance in the new reality that the change is bringing about as they did in the old. That requires a good salesperson to be able to do that, but not a false sales, no. but helping people envision, which is like we're going to do at the general conference, help people envision what's to be gained with this new reality right. and you know going back to you know to our our, our patriarchal and pro-reconciling and anti-racist conversation you and i have both lived to experience how much richer and wonderful and better the world is when we have women and people of color in the room helping us make decisions yes all of a sudden greg's very narrow worldview gets expanded in a thousand different directions my limited possibilities now become endless possibilities because of the people in the room. Yeah. And when you breathe that air for very long, you don't want to stop breathing that air. I right. mean, that's because you know, that's the air God is calling all of us to breathe. And so as we will talk about, as we're, you know, laying out in this new curriculum, what happened in the sixties and seventies is that intellectually, most people felt that it was important you know, civil rights and equal rights for women were both the important things to do. Majority of the people believed that was the right thing to do until it began to impact their own personal lives. Right. And who it impacted most was white men. And instead of the culture spending time creating an understanding of how this makes it better for all of us, all of us win in this new scenario is all of a sudden we began to say that, you know, one person did lose a job because of, or an opportunity as a job because of this new reality. And now all of a sudden 
this new reality must be wrong because this is going to erase every white man out of every job, you know, that ever existed. You know, that's just garbage. It's just pure garbage. You know, and again, it's a very, very uh, limited way of seeing the world. But instead of taking the time to cast that new vision of how this makes all of us better and makes life better for all of us, we were left to, to just like the people in the church when you, you know, I'm, I'm for change as long as it's them changing and not me. Right. And, you know, if you don't do the work of helping people see their place in the new reality, the change is designed to bring about, it won't happen. Or you, it builds the frustration builds up over time and you get people storming the Capitol claiming, you know, to, to restore patriarchy, uh, you know, and white supremacy because in our lifetimes, uh, you know, the role of women and, and civil rights for, uh, for people of color um, are the two things that have had the greatest impact on white males in, in their traditional roles. Thanks be to God. I mean, yeah. thanks be to God. <laughs> but the work that was never done that brought all of us along into seeing how we all win and the whole, you know, and the future for our children and grandchildren is so much better when all these minds, all these hearts are brought together to help create the kind of world that all of us want to be a part of. And so the first thing that, you know, that we address is change, how we understand the role of change and why not doing the work that was required 50 years ago over time accumulated what we saw a month ago. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's important. So that's one piece where we start. And I'll let you respond to that if you have something. Yeah, you want to say. There a couple things that I, that I was thinking about as, as you were talking about that. Um, one is there are, um, and you know this, but, but uh, it's important for me to say it again, there are differences in our experiences, right? Not only are we different in age, but I had a different, uh, different upbringing experience in that it wasn't until, oh, 20 years ago, two decades ago, that I was really, maybe a little more, uh, really first encountering the disciples. You know, I was raised in a very, um, what I would call conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist, Bible-based, um, Baptist-leaning church. Um, and so the, the talk about um, having women in leadership, that was just not, that wasn't even a conversation. And we're talking about this is into the 90s. Uh, that was still not the conversation to be had uh, in, in the circles that I was first encountering, um, encountering God and even first hearing my call uh, to ministry. Um, it was still a very narrow formulation. And to this day in those churches, uh, that church that I grew up in, um, still that very narrow uh, male dominated, uh, male the head of the household, um, wives obey your husbands kind of mentality. Now, does it really play out that way? Eh, no, not so much. Um, it doesn't. Uh, but so, so with that, uh, as I was beginning to uh, encounter this, to me, what was a novel idea at the time, idea that, wow, women are equal and can be in ministry as well as men, 
maybe more so, and as you said, much better pastors um, than me in many cases. Um, as I was encountering that, what I found was that freedom that you talked about, that it, it enables me to be who I truly am um, and to lean into and discover the person God is creating to me to be, you know, with my own unique gifts and talents, with my own unique voice um, that comes from the experiences that I've had, that my voice is no more or no less inherently important um, on the grand scheme of things. Maybe in a topic or two, I might have more um, experience or something um, profound to say. Maybe not very likely, <laughs> but uh, uh, in, in specific areas, maybe, but in the general, just by nature of being a white guy doesn't mean that I have any more um, experience or, or any more um, innate ability uh, to speak, it, which reminds me of, uh, you've seen this, I'm sure, and we've probably all heard this, um, the, the, you know, the pie analogy, that, that this that God's economy, God's world is not like pie. You know, if you get a piece, that doesn't mean that there's less for me. Because God is abundant, uh, an overflowing, abounding God, there's always more, there's always enough for everyone. You know, it, it's not a, a generation pro or a, a creation problem. It's a distribution issue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of us, primarily white, white cis het men, have hoarded power and resources and money throughout the decades, centuries, maybe even eons. And that has put us into a disproportionate place right now, where because a few have more than they could ever need, some don't have enough. Um, so that's one of the things I was thinking about. And, and the other ancillary change, or maybe it's not ancillary, but it's a change that has happened maybe a little more recently, is a, a different understanding of human gender identity and sexuality. So we've talked already about um, this need to become anti-racist and pro-reconciling. And we've talked about the need to dismantle patriarchy. But the other aspect of that is coming to an understanding of all of our siblings as beloved children of God. Amen. Um, and, and specifically, I'm you know, going to name it because it's important. Uh, part of the uh, one of the, the topics we'll be talking about in this new curriculum is dealing with how do we relate um, within men's ministry and the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and that's an important conversation that is sometimes shoved to the side and back burner to deal with the, the longer standing issues of patriarchy and racism. Um, but it's all tied into the same that same uh, un 
unequal distribution of resources amongst people. Right, right. And a piece that we that we also will be addressing, and I think it's it's so very fundamental in so many ways, is um, you know you and I hang around uh, you more recently than me, but you know we we are a part of ecumenical men's groups that really tilt to a much more conservative evangelical um, framework for their faith, and one of the differences between uh, that makes some conversations a challenge is if you start your, your, um, if you believe that the Bible is, you know, uh, inerrantly proposed or an, an inerrant scripture that, uh, you know, um, what you see is what you get. Then, uh, when you read the, the letters, uh, attributed to Paul that were not written by Paul that came really much later than Paul is according to our biblical scholars. Those are the letters that have the hierarchy of being in them. You know, man is God and then man and then woman, uh, and on down the line. We have to make sure that we, uh, uh you know, that we understand how the Bible gives us, uh, uh feeds us and, and found, gives us foundation for understanding our world and, and how we interpret the events around us. It was never designed to be a static document. It's right. always been designed to be a living document. It was written by humans like you and me, uh, you know, people who are, <laughs> are prone to sin, people who are prone to write it in a way that makes me look good and you look less good right. and uh, you know to feather my nest at your expense i mean these are you know that's a part of the human equation and that's always been built in to the bible just because of who it was men and women like us who put it together yeah and so coming coming to terms with you know how we understand the authoritative nature of the text that's not your, the job you and I have. Well, we, we do as pastors for our own congregations. But in the grand scheme of things, that's what each pastor has to do. That's the role of the pastors to help their, their congregation understand, um, you know, those kinds of um, the, th the things of the text of the Bible, uh, how it came to be and, and where its authority lies. And, and for me, it's been so long ago you know, that I embraced the scriptures inspired the word of God. I couldn't, I, it would have no sense to me, make no sense to me. It was anything other than that. If I had to live, you know, believing that uh, the scripture was, you know, was the um, um, inerrant word of God, I would not be a Christian. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that lightly. There's no place for me to live and breathe within that context. And uh, I, you know, I would be able to be a person of faith, but I wouldn't be a Christian. Uh, you know, and so I think that that's another piece that has to be on uh, one of the front burner issues is let's begin to take the Bibles as an authoritative, authoritative element to justify patriarchy off the table because it doesn't justify patriarchy. It just doesn't. You know, that's a reflection of the contextual reality that was taking place 2000 years ago when that particular letter was written. And it wasn't written by Paul. Paul never said those words. And uh, so that's, uh, that's another component that uh, I think is, is essential for us to be much more focused on 
in as we as we deal this. And and again, why do we know that? Because we deal with these very devout Christian men, brothers, you know, in men's ministry, yes. who who can't embrace that because the way they understand the Bible doesn't permit them to embrace that. But the good news is, and this is something just relatively recent for you and I, is that we have been engaged in a writing project with a, you know, with a ecumenical group of men. And um, both of us went in with some trepidation, uh, fearing that our association with what we know to be a much different way of looking at the world, a much more conservative way of looking at the world, could cause issue when we let who we are, you know, again, our non-patriarchal, you know, uh, pro-reconciling anti-racist views come into the curriculum that they ask us to write because they would, and they did. Yes. And we were, we were expecting some fallout from that. Not apologetically, just we were expecting some pushback. To our great surprise, thanks yeah. be to God. Yeah. It's the, there wasn't pushback, but there was some of those guys saying, we've been waiting for this. We just didn't know how. Yeah. We believe what you're saying is right. We just don't know how to get there. Yeah. And we don't embrace what we saw on January 6th. We don't embrace that model of what it means to be a Christian man or to be a man, period, on down the line. We just never knew how to get permission to say it. And so the whole conversation is shifted now. Uh, and again, we were we were a little trigger, but it was the context yes. that made any word we would say relevant. Yes. I want to make sure that's understood. It's not what Greg and Alex said per se. It's the fact that the context in which what we said, which we've been saying for all along for a very long time, all of a sudden it made it heard differently. Yes. And that's what's happened with our colleagues in Disciples Home Missions is that, you know, we, we, we were, people didn't even know there was a Disciples Men's Ministry for years it, it, within DHM. Part of that was our own fault. Uh, but all of a sudden, when we say those same things we've been saying all along, because of the context of January 6th, it's now heard differently. And yes. all of a sudden, those words become much more relevant coming from two white men than they ever have been before. So again, it's imperative that we understand how the current context is creating for us a new opportunity to be who God called us to be as disciples, men. And that's, uh, and that's vitally important. And, and again, to make the point, the same kind of context existed 2000 years ago. It's, it's a context we don't embrace today but it was their context for those folks 2000 years ago. Do we find fault with what they said? Well, no, that was their, that was their reality. That's not our reality now. And to pretend it is, that's the sin. That's where, that's where it becomes highly problematic. Yeah. And I, as we're talking, I'm, I'm also seeing again, uh, we've talked about this before and we will again, um, the importance of awareness of voice. So what has been important to both you and I, I know since we began this ministry uh, a couple years ago, was 
to find ways in which to lift up and hear voices of different folks. You know, we've begun that. We're working towards this uh, curriculum that we received the Orany Scott uh, Foundation grant for um, last year. Of course, COVID put that on hold, and we're hopeful that maybe late this fall we can uh, get back to work on that project, uh, the multivocal, um, where we've got a, a group of writers working on a curriculum that um, hail from all different sorts of backgrounds. Uh, so that that's been something that we've been working towards um, our entire time um, here at uh, Disciples Men with Disciples on Missions. But it's also important to hear, I believe, from our contexts as cishet, middle-class, well-educated white men that this system doesn't work for anybody. It doesn't work for people of color, doesn't work for LGBTQIA siblings, it doesn't work for our um, women, our sisters, uh, it doesn't work for our brothers. It just doesn't work because it denies humanity and anything that denies one person's humanity to me runs exactly counter to the message that I hear from Jesus. I think you're right. Absolutely right. Well said. And this, you know, so some of the pieces uh, that we've talked about before that are part of the Jesus way will have to be a part of anything we do going forward. Just, just a reminder that what diminishes us from a cultural standpoint that makes patriarchy and these other kinds of have, that have propped them up for years is economic power yep. in the capitalistic system in which we live. And you made that very clear in some of your statements earlier uh, and competition. Yeah. And so uh, if, you know, if you, if to level the playing field, you, you have to make it an equal opportunity for everybody who competes. You also, have, you also have to make sure that there's equal opportunity to share the economic resources um, one with all. I mean, the, the world can't all be Warren Buffett's. There's not enough resource for everybody to be a Warren Buffett. So what does that mean? It, you know, all of a sudden now I've got a limit on who I can be because, or who we can be because we all can't attain that. There's not enough resource to go around. And so that Jesus knew that. And so Jesus gave us a different model. You right. know, there's not enough for everybody to have that. So why don't we start focusing on what we all do need to have? And that, you know, that uh, sustains life, nurtures life, uh, gives, makes life, uh, uh, you know, fair and equitable and just for everyone. Right. Because it's a false expectation that all of us are going to be billionaires. Right. You know, one or two of us may, you know, out of the one point or however many hundreds of millions of people we are, I don't, don't know that number, uh, but not a lot are going to attain that. And if you build a system with the belief that everybody can, well, then all of a sudden we're at each other's throats. Right. We cheat, we steal, we put down, we call people names, we close doors, 
We do everything that we can to make sure that my competitive edge is never challenged by you. Yeah. And that's that's part of the problem that we that we deal with on a regular basis. Now, that doesn't mean that competition doesn't have a place. We've said this before. I'm a highly competitive person. You know, I love sports. Yep. It's a part of who I am. You know, tonight um, I'll be watching the Kentucky Wildcats play a basketball game with my <laughs> wife. That's what we do. Uh, but it doesn't define us. Right. That's the key. That's that, you know, it sharpens us. But the minute, but the minute you use it to define us is when we get in a huge trouble. If I can't celebrate your victories with you, there's a big problem. Yeah. And, and that's part of what we're facing in the world. And, uh, you know, it's this either or this, you know, limited finite pie, which, you know, you're talking about the God of all creation. How can you have a finite pie with the God <laughs> no. of all creation? I mean, just think about it. Use your brain. <laughs> what is it that's finite about God? Love, grace, mercy? Nothing. You know, nothing. Nothing. But yet we want to pretend that God only has one pie. And there's only one piece for me. And if it denies you, so be it. Yeah. You know, and again, when are we going to get our heads straight around this kind of stuff? It's just goofy. Yeah. The system that we've created as people of faith. It's just blasted goofy yeah. when we when we stop and look at it. I'm sorry, I got a little wound up today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was thinking about the fact that uh, uh, you know the the one thing that we don't have in this curriculum. And I know it's a passion of yours, and we'll need to come back to this and actually and hit it sometime. Um, and we can do that in concert with our uh, colleagues at Green Chalice and Blue Theology. Um, but I at least have been talking very much in the fact or in the frame of trying to uh, be equitable amongst uh, other humans. And we deny a large part of God's creation if we don't think about our responsibilities um, with the environment um, and with the other life forms that inhabit um, this third rock from the sun, um, you know, with us uh, or we with them, as as the case probably is better put. Um, So uh, that that's something we we might come back and, and hit at a later date. It's not necessarily on our uh, agenda at this moment, but I just think I might have given us a little bit more work for this fall. Well, you do know I have a passion for that, and uh, um, and which reminds me that we need to get Carol Devine, our Minister yes. of Green Chalice, lined up as one of our guests, and you know, Carol will be awesome uh, to help us with that. Uh, or Scott Hardin-Neary. Uh, Scott's also, you know, one of the leaders of Green Chalice. And so either one would be wonderful to have come and and share with us. Thank you for lifting that up. Well, our conversation today has kind of gotten away from us. Looks like our time may have uh, flown by while we're, you know, trying to keep Greg corralled today. Well, it, that, that happens to us every now and then. I think that's just perfectly fine. So, well, you're you're very kind, and you know, and and to our people, I hope that what you to listeners, I hope that you are able to understand that Alex and I don't do this for a paycheck. We'd start to death if we did. <laughs> we 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 do this ministry because we have a passion for it. We believe in its relevance. 
uh, we believe, uh, again, in, in a very humble way, we believe we were called yeah. to be doing this ministry yeah. at this time. And, uh, and so we hope that you hear our commitment and our passion for this as an authentic expression of our own faithfulness and our love for the church. And it's a deep love we have for the church. And we only want the church to be all it can be. And yeah. we know that, that men, disciples, men, have a role to play in that, but it's not the kind of role we have historically played. It's the role where we take the lead in creating a world where everyone has equal voice, equal, equal opportunity, where everybody's gifts and graces can be on full display, because that's the only way, said this before, that's the only way that we have any chance of dealing with the complexities of the world in such a way that the world will be here for our children and grandchildren. Yeah. It's that critical. Yes. It's that critical. Yeah, it is. Greg, thank you for your time today. I do appreciate it and look forward to uh, speaking with you again uh, on a future edition of Disciples Men Podcast. Thank you, Alex. Great to be with you again. God bless. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through DisciplesHomeMissions.org.